Our scripture readings this morning are found in three places. The first is in Nehemiah chapter 8. And if you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, that's on page 476. Nehemiah chapter 8, page 476 in the pew Bibles. I'll be starting to read in verse 9 of Nehemiah 8. And this episode happens when the law is read to the exiles who have returned from Babylon. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still. For this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Then our next reading is from the letter of Paul to the Roman church, what we call Romans. And that's found on page 1102. We'll be reading Romans 15, starting in verse 8. 1102 in the Pew Bibles. Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 8 and going through verse 13. Page 1102. Paul writes... For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again, it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, we have a passage from the letter to the Galatian church, what we call Galatians, chapter 5, starting in verse 1. That's found on page 1131 in the Pew Bibles, 1131. Galatians 5, 
I'll start by reading just the first verse of Galatians 5, page 1131 in the Pew Bible. Paul writes to the Galatian church, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And then skipping down across the page, turning the page to verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we thank you for the joy that you have set in our hearts by the Lord Jesus and his Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that that same Spirit would illuminate us, cause our ears to be open and our hearts to be tender, and, Lord, empower our brother Mark as he brings your word to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Yuri. Once again, I want to thank all of the leaders and all of the parents who brought your kids uh, to be a part of our pageant this morning, um, and all of the kids. What a wonderful expression that was of the Christmas story, and so I really, really appreciate it. Let's give them one more hand. I really, really, really enjoyed that. As you might have surmised from my sermon title for this morning, we're going to be talking and learning quite a bit about the biblical definition, the Christian value, the character quality of God in Christ Jesus, and the spirit-generated grace gift that is joy. Joy. So, as we get started... I want us to deliberately process each of those qualifications. Joy according to the Bible, the biblical definition of joy, it's not happiness or even the opposite of sadness. The Christian value of joy, it's not a decision or a duty, merely. Joy as a character quality of God in Christ Jesus. Joy is fundamental to God's being. As he is infinite in all of his attributes, he is infinite in joy as well, and we'll take a look at that, or the implications for that, in a bit. And then finally, the spirit-generated grace gift that is joy. It's not a decision, as I said before. It's not a state of being, primarily. It is the very presence of the Holy Spirit in the believer. So joy according to the Bible. Over the next little while, we'll be looking at these essential aspects of joy. But first, and perhaps as an illustration of joy, 
brought on by circumstance. I received this lovely picture late in the week last, which brought some happiness and celebration, some joy in my life and in ours who know Garrett and Heidi. They had their little baby boy, Merritt Avery Unruh, December the 14th at uh, 11.57 a.m. So uh, congratulations to Garrett and Heidi. They are often on the live stream with, with us or, or occasionally they get here. They live an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes away, so the commute's pretty tough. But, uh, but we're very thankful for Garrett and for Heidi, and we look forward to meeting little Merritt Avery Unruh. Uh, some of the best benefits of living in biblical Christian community is that we get to share life and love, high points and low points, celebrations and sorrows, No one can do everything or be everything to anybody, but we can do our part, and no one needs to be alone. Let's take a moment to pray for the newly enlarged UNRWA family and also our new Canadian family that just arrived on Friday very early in the morning. Lord, thank you for the grace that you are extending to us these days. Thank you for the grace gift of new birth. We thank you for Merritt. We thank you for his parents, Garrett and Heidi, who have a very strong desire and commitment to raise him in a Christ-centered home. We thank you for their, their, their friendship. We pray your blessing upon their home and upon their family. We thank you so much, Lord, for bringing Enyet and his family all the way home to Canada, his new home. And they have many adjustments to make, and it's, it's very early, just a couple of days they've been here. But we are so thankful that you brought them, and I pray that you would give them every grace to make the arrangements, to make the adjustments that they need uh, to begin feeling like this is home. They've come such a long way and such a hard trek across mountains in the winter and um, uh, there, there were times, I'm sure, when they feared for their lives. And, Lord, we pray that you would continue to give them a sense of your peace and a sense of your safety. And may we be your people loving them, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, thank you, Lord, for all the folks that have contributed to bringing them here, along with Kadir and Najila and, and their two boys. We thank you for Gail Henry, who has been so diligent to uh, do her best to organize and to prepare for and to communicate. And while she's in California right now, uh, we're still very thankful for her. And I thank you for all the others that helped to organize, Ruth and Patty and um, uh, Helen, uh, Carol, um, Rose. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for all the people here that you have given us to serve us for your glory and for our good. I pray now, Lord, that you would open our ears and our hearts, our minds to the truth of your gospel. And we know that at the center of that gospel is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen. It's increasingly true these days. I think you'll agree. That tradition is out and innovation is in. 
Even in the church, many make the mistake of thinking, deciding, and behaving like all tradition is intrinsically bad, or at least passé, and all innovation is good, or at least more relevant. So often, just the mention of tradition, traditions, and traditional mean old, boring, stale, obsolete, and irrelevant. Well, innovation and innovative mean new, exciting, fresh, happening, and relevant. And this attitude is generally true in and outside the church these days. We live in a world where gadgets and gadgetry for just about everything is just about everywhere. We've got internets, wireless screens and printers, driverless cars and trucks. We've got Google machines and streaming services, and books are going out of style, which really makes me sad. Just this past week, my sister Vonda asked me to look around in her area for what might be a good local congregation for her to try to begin attending to get good, consistent biblical Christian teaching and to find authentic community for her to grow in her faith. When I do searches like this, I'm always both amazed and appalled by how many churches have as a first primary appeal some version of, we dare to be cool for Jesus. Come be daring to be cool for Jesus with us because it's daringly cool to be cool for Jesus. And you know what? The world needs cool Jesus. Not surprising, I didn't refer to her to any of those. I did suggest she check out a somewhat less impressive church, which was obviously much less impressed with themselves. They also seem to be more, shall we say, real. And interested in the serious and joyful practice of a biblically Christian faith. The name of it was Living Message Church of Claremont, Florida. If you want to check it out, go ahead. Now, I was so glad when we reestablished our connection with the church all over the world in the celebration not only of Christmas, but the coming of Messiah and Christ, which is the season of Advent. This was many years ago now. And Advent anticipates in hope, in faith, and in joy the promise of the Messiah coming and Christ. Another name for that, for the Advent season, I mean, is tradition. Or perhaps, if we must make such distinctions, a good tradition, where a good tradition is one that reminds us of the ground and glory of our faith, even renews our faith in the present by remembering and retelling the faithfulness of our good and great God since the past right up until now. Now, don't get me wrong. Not all traditions are good, any more than all innovations are bad, or vice versa. It's never that simple. Both assumptions are wrong. But we must take seriously the way the biblical Christian faith has been passed down to us, also known as tradition, so we can pass it on faithfully to the next generations. A couple of Sundays ago, Pastor Yuri got us started as he focused us on the traditional first Sunday of Advent theme of hope. Then last Sunday, I picked it up and focused our attention on the traditional second Sunday of Advent theme of peace. And I don't want us to miss the main point for the Advent season, which is God, Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our peace. And this morning, for the next few minutes, I'd like for us to give our attention to the traditional theme of the third Sunday of Advent, which is joy. 
And just as surely as Jesus is our hope and Jesus is our peace, Jesus is our joy as well. So with the time we have left, I'd like to roll all three of these biblical Christian values, hope, peace, and joy, into kind of a summary of the Bible's teaching on who we are or who we should be as biblical Christians and how we can have the hope, peace, and joy of Jesus Christ wherever we go, whatever we are doing, and it can be contagious to those around us. Now, I'd like to do what we did last Sunday, which was to start with our scripture text in reverse order. Pastor Yuri read them in the order that they occur in the Bible, Nehemiah, Romans, and Galatians. But I'd like to teach from them in the order in which they occur in our lives and ministries, which, if you'll roll with me a little bit, Galatians, Romans, Nehemiah. So if you're not already there, please turn with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. And as you're turning there, allow me to state the central truth of the message, which you have also printed there in your bulletins. It is this. All of God's promises have been, are, and will be fulfilled in the person, presence, and power of Jesus Christ. All of God's promises have been, are now, and will be fulfilled in the person, presence, and power of Jesus of Jesus Christ. This includes, that is, God's promises include present and future joy for his blood-bought, spirit-born people. Indeed, God's sort of joy only comes by way of a grace gift from the Holy Spirit of God, who is the very presence of the Lord Jesus in us and among us. Galatians chapter 5, verses 1, and then 22 through 26 is where we're at. I want you to think about this as we turn there. This is, you could call this point of truth or major point of truth number one. There are three of them, which is fewer than I often do, so we might get out here a little bit sooner than you expect. But we're doing this. We're applying God's word to our lives. And the first thing I'd like for us to think about is all the fruits of the Spirit, or we can make it singular as the text does, all the fruit of the Spirit are grace gifts of the Holy Spirit, who is the personal presence of Jesus Christ in us and among us, And that presence, his presence, is based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the power of his resurrection. All the fruit of the Spirit are grace gifts of the Holy Spirit, who is the personal presence of Jesus Christ in us and among us, based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the power of his resurrection. If you look at chapter chapter 5 in Galatians in verse 1, we see one of my favorite verses in Scripture. And it's one that's been very helpful to me over about 35 or so years of being a Christian. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Or as the NIV puts it, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I just want us to notice a couple of things here in this one verse. First of all, freedom isn't free. And freedom isn't something that we labor after. It's given to us. For freedom, Christ has set us free. We are in bondage until Christ sets us free. We need to understand that. We are not the ones that set us free. Even when we make good decisions that lead to freedom, it is Christ who ultimately set us free. And because it's Christ who set us free, then we have a responsibility in the power of the Holy Spirit to stand firm. In freedom, 
Not on our opinions. Not on our doctrine, as important as that is. But the point here is to stand firm in freedom. That only Christ can and only Christ did make us free with. For freedom, Christ has set us free. The other thing I'd like for us to notice here is that he set us free for the sake of freedom. Do you see that? It is for freedom that Christ set us free. It's not for bondage. It's not for religion. It's not for any other thing. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. He set us free to be free. And it's a finished work. Now, we can apply this event in the life and death of Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. And near the end, he said, it is finished. And I think that it's safe to say that that statement, it is finished, applies to everything that Christ did. Everything that Christ came to do. It is finished. Everything that Christ will do in our lives, he prepared beforehand at the cross. It's finished. It's done. And we are set free by Christ. Why? That we might be free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, we might, feel, not, might, might not feel that we've been in slavery. We might not understand what kind of slavery we've been in or bondage. Um, I think the NIV says bondage rather than slavery. Um, but before Christ, we certainly are. After Christ, we can stay in bondage by our own choices and by our own behaviors. That's why the imperative, the command, stand firm, therefore, in the freedom that Christ set you free with. And do not submit again to a yoke of bondage. So as we think about that, let's turn to chat to verse 22 and following. Now, I'll just give you a thumbnail sketch of the book of Galatians chapter 5. It is a treatise on the battle between our sinful flesh and the Holy Spirit who is within us. If we are bought by the blood of Christ and we are reborn by the Spirit of God, then within us the Holy Spirit resides within each one of us. And Galatians chapter 5 is about this battle that goes on between our flesh that wants to get rid of the Spirit because if if there's no Spirit, the, the flesh can do what it wants and the Spirit is trying to sanctify us. That's a fancy word for saying transform us into the image of Christ. He's trying to make us better. He's trying to make us like Jesus and our flesh fights that process. Has anybody noticed that in your own life? couple of honest people here. Stand firm, therefore, in the freedom that Christ has set you free with, and do not be subject to a yoke of bondage. So verse 22. So here we get uh, a contrast between the work of the flesh, which is from verse 19 to 21, and then verse 22 is the contrasting or contrary work of the Spirit, how the Spirit works, what the outcome is, what the fruit of the Spirit is, literally the produce of the Spirit, verse 22, but the produce or the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now, today we're talking about joy, right? And, and there it is. Did you hear it? Love, 
joy. And there's peace that we looked at last week, right? It, it's, it's very important that we understand that, that these are not optional. Now, one person might have more exuberant joy than another. One person may be able to express God's love in Christ more than another. But these are not, well, I'll pick three, six, and nine. And you pick one, four, and seven. And we'll work together in a complementary fashion so that all the gifts are expressed. No, that's not what the point is here. The point here is where the Spirit resides, these will be the fruit of his presence in every single believer. We will be in some, some way able to express love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and here's the big one, self-control. All of these are character qualities of God. All of these are character qualities that the Holy Spirit brings to us and expresses himself through us as we are loving in the way that God loves, joyful in the way that God is joyful, at peace in the way that God is at peace. He's he's not anxious for anything, which is why we get the instruction, be anxious for nothing but pray about everything, right? So each one of these is an expression of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. They're not something that we work at, that we develop over time. Yes, we become more like Jesus over time as the Spirit works in us, but it's not something we attain. It's something that we are given, that the Holy Spirit does within us and allows us to be more and more and more like Jesus. And it's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to think that Jesus was in his person the embodiment of all of God's attributes at the same time. Wow. Infinitely loving, infinitely joyful, infinitely peaceful, infinitely patient, infinitely kind, infinitely good, infinitely faithful, infinitely gentle, and infinitely self-controlled. I don't know about you, but that's pretty daunting to me. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, to transform us into that, into his character. And I hope he's at work in us all. And then this statement, which is really a deep insight. I know it seems simple and obvious now, but it wouldn't have been simple or obvious before this was stated literally. And it says, Paul says by the Spirit, against such things, there is no law. Now imagine this. Imagine a law against love. You must not be loving, or it's a violation of the law. You must not be joyful. You must not be peaceful. We we can't even imagine it, can we? But Paul makes the point here by the Spirit that because there is no law against these things, we are, what's the word? Free. To be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-controlled. We are free. There is no law against these things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus, 
See, now we're back to the battle between the flesh and the spirit, aren't we? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the spirit, now he's, he's not talking here about living in our homes and living at work and living at church. When he says this, he's, he, he's saying if we are saved by the Holy Spirit, then let us walk by the Holy Spirit. Let us order our lives according to the Holy Spirit. Let us be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient. You get, you get it? So if we are saved by the Holy Spirit, based on what, on what Jesus did on the cross and in the power of his resurrection, who is the Holy Spirit... Let us order our lives in like manner. Let us not become conceited. And that's easy to imagine. We might be, feel a little bit superior than people around us if we're a little bit ahead of them in, in spiritual maturity. But as soon as we become conceited by that, we demonstrate that we are not ahead of anybody in spiritual maturity because pride is one of the things that God opposes Intrinsically, he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud, envying one another. Okay, so all the fruit of the Spirit are grace gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're not something we attain, they're not something we earn, they're not something that we over time uh, develop. The Holy Spirit transforms us into the image of Christ. Yes, that's true. And we become different people. Yes, that's true. And there is some development there, but it's him doing it. It's not us attaining or aspiring to it. And these grace gifts of the Holy Spirit come from the very personal presence of Jesus Christ in us and among us. And it's based, all of it's based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so uh, turn with me to Romans chapter 15. And as we look at that one verse, one verse, I'd like for us to think about this. The one true and living God is, right from the text, the God of all hope. It actually says joy and peace. I turned it around because joy is the theme for today. So it probably shouldn't be in quotation marks. Um, There is a story associated with this verse. Those of you who have been around very very long know that I'm I'm a depressive I've been a depressive since I was 15 years old. I remember when it started, and I've struggled with depression ever since. So I get a call about two years after we arrived here in Winnipeg from the then pastor, Merv Langto is his name, at Trinity Church downtown, right in the middle of downtown. He says, Mark, I want you to come and preach at our luncheon series and I want you to preach on joy. And I've got your, your verse for you. Romans 15, verse 13. I said, Merv, I can't preach on joy. Why? I'm a depressive. I don't feel joyful all that often. He said, joy is not a feeling. Romans 15, 13. I'll see you in a couple weeks. <laughs> that was uh, quite an eye-opener. And this is the verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. What are the next two words? In believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The one true and living God is the God of all hope, joy, and peace 
And here, Paul's prayer by the Spirit for the church at Rome, for all of the saints after that, all the way here to Bethesda Church in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, on December, what is this, the 17th, 2023, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Here's the kicker in believing, right? So we, we, we must believe that God can and will be this God to us in hope, peace, and joy, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may, we may abound in hope. So the Holy Spirit is, is, is driving this thing all through from beginning to end. He is the one who gives us saving faith. He is the one who gives us hope. He is the one who gives us the peace of God. He is the one who gives us the joy of the Lord, which is the next thing. I want you to think about this as we turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. I'm trying to live up to my promise to be brief, and so i got to keep moving. I became acquainted with Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 in my early formative Christian days. Um, and somehow I got connected with Twyla Paris, and she had a wonderful song, The Joy of the Lord. Anybody remember that? Just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song. And so I'll tell you a little bit more of the historical background here. So two things are happening uh, as we read this text. First of all, Nehemiah and Ezra had been given the permission of the ruling authorities to begin to rebuild the temple. And in the cleanup of the temple, they found the lost scrolls of the law. And so we see a couple of references here to crying, don't weep, don't, don't, don't grieve. They are crying for joy because the law has been found. And they are, they are now hearing the law being read with their own ears because it had been found. And after that, this is what we get. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to Yahweh your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine. He's saying, Have a party. Celebrate because this is a day to celebrate, because it is a day holy to the Lord, because his law has been refound and it's now being told to all the people. For this day is holy to the Lord. Oh, yes, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for, here it is, the joy of the Lord is your strength, or the joy of Yahweh is your strength. So for those who love Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God, and obey his word, his joy will be and is our strength. That's good news. I'd like to live a life where I can actually say the joy of Yahweh is my strength. 
And notice, we're talking about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about, you know, manufacturing joy. We're not talking about a good mood here. We're talking about the presence of the Holy Spirit that gives us the freedom of Christ to be joyful. The freedom of Christ to be at peace. The freedom of Christ to be hopeful always. I was just a month and six days short of my 29th birthday when I became a Christian. So I'm a late bloomer. Then, two days before my 29th birthday, I was baptized at Lafayette Baptist Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina, where I also met and married my dear Shelley three years later. Where's she? Oh, she's doing the children. In the next couple of years, I, I grew in the Lord exponentially, and I began becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, and then I responded to his calling upon my life for lifelong vocational ministry. And so I tell people, if you let the Lord get a hold of you, you may just end up being a pastor in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Um, and here we are. During those early formative years, say from age 29 to 35, so year one to year six or so, one way the Holy Spirit grew me up into the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ was through good, biblical, Christian music from artists like <clears throat> Stephen Curtis Chapman, Twyla Paris, who I just mentioned, DC Talk, Steve Green, Michael English, I, I know he had, a, he had a fall after this, but oh my goodness, that guy could sing. Larnell Harris, the Newsboys, any rockers out there? Audio Adrenaline, and especially Michael Card. Shelley and I have seen Michael Card in concert twice, once in Raleigh, North Carolina, while she was still in college, and the other was several years ago, right around the corner over here when he was at Grant Memorial one evening. I have many favorite Michael Card songs, which are basically scripture set to music, and one of them is entitled Joy in the Journey. I lost my screen back here. I'm not sure what happened. Okay, good. So it's still, at least the, the blinker's still working. Here, here are the words to Joy in the Journey, and we'll close with this. I'm not going to sing. I was tempted, but I decided in the end... It probably would not be joyful for you. There is a joy in the journey. There's a light we can love on the way. There is a wonder and wildness to life and freedom for those who obey. All those who seek it shall find it, a pardon for all who believe, hope for the hopeless and sight for the blind to all who've been born of the Spirit and who share incarnation with him, who belong to eternity, stranded in time, and weary of struggling with sin. Forget not the hope that's before you, and never stop counting the cost. Remember the hopelessness when you were lost? There is a joy in the journey. There's a light we can love on the way. There is a wonder and wildness to life and freedom for those who obey. Friends, all of God's promises have been, are now, and will be fulfilled in the person, presence, and power of Jesus Christ. 
Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you once again for your word and your spirit, both of which come from you through Jesus to us. We're so thankful that you've included us in your plans. We thank you that you have given us a way not only to be saved from condemnation and hell, but also to become your children, transformed into the very image of Jesus Christ and looking forward to a hopeful future, both for this life and the next. Lord, I pray that for all of us here today that it it will be true, that, that Christ has set us free, and we recognize that he set us free for us to be free, and that we will stand firmly and not be subject to a yoke of bondage again. Thank you for what you're doing in and among us these days. Thank you for this wonderful crowd. Thank you for these wonderful children that we saw this morning. Thank you for their leaders. Thank you for all the people who serve in this congregation. Thank you, Lord, most of all for Jesus who made it all possible and continues to make it all possible by your word and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.